You are now checked in to Stand Up New York Labs. Oh, yeah. I'm on size nothing and that's Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Free Speech. This is Stand Up Labs New York. No, it's Stand Up New York Labs, but it is definitely free speech. And uh, we're a live video podcast every Tuesdays and Thursdays from 11 to 12. We tend to sort of peter over 12 if the guy's interesting. So you'll know if we stop this at 11.50 that Matt Welch is a dud. That's... (laughs) <laughs> interesting choice of words that you use, Gavin. Thank Why? You. Why is that an interesting choice of words? Uh, that word has been used before to describe me in the uh, really in, in the um, in the press. Mm-hmm. Do you know the etymology of the word "dud"? No. That's, I mean, it's it's just the, it's just a bomb, right? I mean, like the bombs that don't work, but they're a dud, yeah. But like, is there some hopefully ethnic stereotype behind it? <laughs> no, I don't know. Maybe John, if you get a chance, could you look up the origin of the word dud? I'm guessing it's some sort of cleaning your musket instrument uh, that has. It looks like the, yeah, the yeah, butt yeah. of a cigarette, yeah, and yeah. it's used to clean a musket. It's called a dud. We were talking about this the other day at home uh, about the word cod. Uh, as in cod piece. Uh-huh. And uh, it just sort of sounds similar, something that you kind of stuff into places for yeah. reasons of weaponry. There's definitely some disdain <laughs> with one-syllable words that end with D. Yeah, yeah, there's a revulsion factor. I think you should get John Hyatt in here and talk all about it. They probably didn't use fish to cover their groin, though. That wouldn't... I mean, fish lasts, what, like an hour? Uh, you know, you never know, like with the Swedes and the Norwegians and stuff like that. They Maybe do they just awful, it? awful things with fish, yeah. Would they put it in their vaginas? See, now I'm, you're trying to get me to do the nervous <laughs> laughter in the first minute, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do it. Matt will not be laughing nervously uh, for the duration of the show. <laughs> um, Matt Welch, not to be confused with uh, the comedian Matt Walsh, whom uh, Matt has never heard of, but was the True. star of David Cross's new film Hits, and was also the star of uh, John Benjamin's John Benjamin Has a Van. Very funny guy, very bald guy. He's also on Veep. Now, I believe. Oh. Yeah. You guys should get to know each other. It's a good program. I think I actually do know him in some uh, uh, transitive property of inequality way. I always feel, and this might be some sort of um, bias of mine, but I always feel like Matt's should be friends. We tend to get along, but there's a there's a distrust. I mean, the, the thing that Matt's have in common is that they decided uh, right righteously to forego the Matthew. Right. We all hate You're cool Matthews. Matthews. There are almost no Matthews that we can tolerate. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you're gonna if you're gonna keep the Matthew, um, and the only person who I will exempt from this is Matthew Sweet, just because I like girlfriend record. Um, uh, but if you're gonna keep the Matthew, it, that's a conscious choice to be a fancy lad. And yeah, Matt's no better. It's like Jonathan. Yeah, sure. Jonathan. When I meet a Jonathan, I think, oh, you're too cool for John. Right. I had to fight to get uh, Johnny on my son's birth certificate. My- Did you? Get Johnny on his birthday? No, I didn't say I won the fight. Okay, okay, sure. I lost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, My son's name is Johnny Buffalo McInnes, and I, when I was getting his name at the hospital, this black woman was giving me shit, saying, you know that he's going to have to suffer, you know, through kindergarten and stuff with that name. And I'm like, don't you guys call your kids, like, Daniqua? Why are you, you worried guys, about Johnny Buffalo? <laughs> you know, we uh, gave both of our kids uh, Hungarian names because my wife and I met in Budapest. Okay. And uh, so, but we got no guff at all. I mean, I'm sure their names are probably illegal in France where my wife is from because you can only you name your kids off the calendar like in a lot of uh, European countries. 
Um, but uh, our daughter, who was just born uh, two months ago, we gave her the middle name of uh, Sugar. 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 But that's not your heritage. Uh, not at all. No, we have nothing to do with the the Hungarian <laughs> heritage. No, it was a, it was a that's nod. That's like Gwen Stefani calling her kid Brooklyn. Mm, yes and no. I mean, we uh, we both bonded over uh, living in post-communist Europe and uh, and sort of the it was the birthplace of our love and we wanted and Hungarian is a dying language and kind of a dying people oh that's inspiring uh, yeah yeah sure uh, but uh, I mean sugar in actually spelling in the English way is sugar so um, you know there could have been objections on the on the fact that we named her you know sugar well you probably hang well, out with with Brooklyn yuppies as I do and there is nothing – the only thing you should be ashamed of or that you would get teased is maybe your name wasn't cool enough like Mike. Mike's would get bullied by Stefan and Marley <laughs> and Rio and <laughs> Cringely and Wrigley. Yeah. Uh, Jason Jones from The Daily Show, he's coming on on Thursday. And he always – he says, I'm not hanging out with you unless you can name my kids. And their names are impossible to remember. It's Piper – Wrigley. Piper is a big one, yeah. Fletcher, I think, is another one. We at least uh, chose the Hungarian names based on ability to diminutize in a uh, heavy metal fashion. So my uh, first daughter's name is Isidora, which is like the Hungarian Isidora, but it diminutizes to Izzy. So I've got an Izzy, and I feel perfectly you know, American right? and fine about Like the that. famous Irish metal band Thin Izzy? Yeah, exactly. Um, long may they wave. Um, the... <laughs> Uh, and our second daughter, is a, who's a Nicolette, um, you know, can be a Coco. So we've got we've got the stripper name set up. We've got uh, we've got bright future. So you gave yes. them dying names yes. of strippers. Yes, dead stripper names. Yeah, <laughs> future's bright. Welcome to the world. What's you know, in that uh, little brown bag you got there. Uh, it's just a Red Bull. That's disappointing. How's your Lent going? I, I, I sort of just cheated. I mean, I I started I I found a corrupt doctor. Uh, on Park Ave, I got me some Adderall and some Xanax. Oh, Started okay. smoking pot again. Uh-huh. Um, pot. This pot I got though is like green crack. I, I I smoke it and I start bad tripping about all the bridges I've burned over the years. Oh and really? All the enemies I have. I was watching TV and I'm I'm like every c celebrity that I've ever met hates my guts now and every production company is going to speak to me and I started bad tripping and then I woke up the next day and still had the bad trip yeah it's because it's all true <laughs> it's about the way you've lived your life uh, no I can't I can't uh, you know, I'm like I'm with Ringo on this one I can't smoke it no more because of precisely that like just the massive paranoid you know I'm I am not who they think I am uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm even worse <laughs> I'm uh, a dud uh, yeah. stop it <laughs> Just to clarify, the dud comment that I enjoy so much. What was that? A New York Post review of the Independence? Uh, it was a an inaccurate uh, an article about it being uh, canceled by Labor Day. It was the Daily News um, that uh, happened. And, and when was it canceled? Uh, it was canceled a good six months after that uh, thing oh, okay. appeared. And it it uh, and it was also, but it also said you know that, that Kennedy is going to go back home to Los Angeles, which is. Obviously not true. She has her own show. And Two fallacies right there. Yeah, exactly. And then so let's just follow that pattern. The dud thing was probably when they called you a dud. That's probably not true either, right? Well, you know, I think I'll, I'll let the market decide. I actually have a, a question about yeah. um, the independence. I was watching uh, the one of the late night shows with one of the cool, uh, what's it, Larry fucking uh, gorgeous face. Um, Going to have to help me out there. 
Larry Wilmore, the the late late show, whatever on Comedy Central. Okay, yeah, I've heard the, the one that'll be after the Daily Show now. Right. So they'll have the South African guy and this guy, Larry Wilders, or I don't know. Anyway, they had a thing, and it was who said it, and then they would hold up a paddle of the face of the guy that said it. Hmm. Now I want to show this to the camera. Can I just walk to one and it'll pick it up? Okay, this one. This one here. We did that on the independence. Yeah, constantly, With right? With paddles, yeah. constantly. Uh, I don't know. Is, is this an old trope that you guys just happen to do and other people are doing it? I've I mean, never seen it. I mean, uh, Stossel, who we probably semi-stole the idea from, does a lot of sort of paddle games, like true or false kind of uh, kind of things. Right. Um, so we likely just adapted it from him. I mean, it's TV. Is there any, like, original idea? That's in, pretty fucking in close. Television? The paddle of the guy's face and who said it? Yeah, um, it's pretty close, but again, we probably took it from Stossel. I, I, yeah. I'm all about having good ideas out there in the universe and, and have people uh, steal them and make a lot more money than me. You know the Californians on SNL? Yeah, which uh, I hate. Oh, you hate that? I do. Okay. So I'm they, California. It's one of their top bits. In fact, they did it at the anniversary. Which was the, the worst part of the anniversary. I think we can all agree. No. I well, I I, I can't speak uh, <laughs> unequivocally about comedy, but I fucking hate uh, that stupid fish in a blender thing. I thought that. Oh was, right, yeah, yeah. I guess I was uh, I was uh, nodding was a, off at that. Of all the point. things to bring back yeah. from the seventies, you bring the fish in a blender. No, I think you I think you bring back uh, somehow through uh, holograms because uh, because both uh, men are now dead. Uh, Chevy Chase and Richard Pryor during the job interview. Sure. Uh, yeah, that was wonderful. <laughs> or what about the synchronized swimming? Right. That, the, did they not even nod to that a little bit? I'd watch most of it. Not to my knowledge. Yeah. That dude with the mustache uh, wasn't well-liked by Lauren Michaels. and they Harry Shearer? But despite being the funniest guy there yeah. for centuries. Shearer is, uh, uh, I think, a really uh, interesting guy, a, a great American, and kind of a, a prickly iconoclast in general. Like He, he mixes it up with people. His Le Show thing was pretty great in... Uh, at KCRW for years, and um, and he's just got this weird New Orleans vibe to him too. He's a he's he's, he's a wonderful guy. He is the Simpsons, isn't he? Yeah, pretty much. We're we're wandering all over the yeah, place exactly. here. Isn't uh, there news to talk about? Kevin? Yes, there's a lot of news to talk about. Um, the SNL thing was relevant, and I know you think it wasn't. No, the Californians you're because come the back Californians that. that was it. Yeah, it's just a. Complete ripoff of a Monty Python sketch where there's been a murder and it, the set looks exactly the same. And they talk about how they got there from London and what train they took and everything. It's exactly the same, but British. Now, in that case, I see it more as an homage. Right. But in this case, with Comedy Central, it just seems like a blatant ripoff. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess to me, you have to, it has to, your, the original thing that you created has to be so original. Um, and so it, it has to rise to a great level. I think what we did was, was very fun and, uh, and interesting. I don't think it was like, my God, no one thought of that one before level of, of creation. If it had been, then I might start to feel the lathers about you getting get upset. Mad. I get mad about it. How I'm an easy going guy. I'm a Californian. How did you feel about the independence getting canceled? I had mixed emotions. Um, I loved the show and threw everything, uh, uh, into it. Uh, I was uh, proud of the... Um, 
I was proud of the artistic content of it. I was happy that for the last, you know, uh, that in the year 2014, it was the second rated, second highest rated show on that daily show on that network uh, among uh, in the targeted demographic, and we were. From basically August on, we who pretty, beat you? Who was number one? Uh, this is just according to not uh, Fox internal stuff, but uh, according to like TV news or uh, ratings. It was um, uh, Stuart Varney. We uh, beat us by a point. And Stossel, he's who's, not even hot. Stossel, who is uh, no, he's not. Uh, uh, I mean, he's hot mentally. Um, uh, Stossel gets higher than everybody else. But anyway, so we, without Stossel's hot, without necessarily a whole is, lot. Of, oh, that's the British guy, right? Yeah, yeah. He's like a British guy. He's like a seven, but Stossel is more like a 7.9. Stossel is, you know, he's in his mid-60s. The man's uh, preserving a lot better than some people. I, can I wish he'd let his mustache go white. <laughs> but uh, Nervous laugh. But sorry, I interrupted you. Um, oh, yeah, so I was I was bummed because it was a, a big part of my life, and it was very fun, and it was, you know, enjoyable to do. I was happy or proud that, the you know, the last broadcast that we taped was on the day of the Charlie Hebdo massacre, and I will I will put up that broadcast that we did on that day versus anything you know that was on television that day or was on television that month. Uh, you know, I feel like we brought it was a legitimately fresh kind of take on what cable news could do, um, and uh, and was a, a fun show to do. Uh, at the same time, I work for Reason Magazine, and part of our mission is to sort of populate the world with more. Uh, libertarian programming. So the fact that Kennedy is still out there doing it four days a week, uh, I can now go on MSNBC whenever I want to. I'm not contractually shackled to the Fox building anymore. Uh, and I can go and, and create new stuff and Camille can go and create new stuff. Uh, for my own institution, I think it's a net win. Uh, I have more time to actually do my day job. You sound oh, like a Christian missionary right A little now. bit. I mean, no, but I mean, I, the uh, nonprofits, that's the that's the game. I mean, you we have a mission statement. We have to fulfill it. Um, and then also, I just I I I enjoy media creation so much, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like to be at the presence, uh, be at the creation, and to do something that is legitimately interesting. Because most things just fail, you know, they don't get off the starting pad. Uh, but uh, that is so much fun, and um, and as much as you get sad when they mostly inevitably die. Um, it also whets your appetite for okay, what are we gonna? What's going to come next, and how is it going to be even better? So um, you know, um, I'm, and it, it all coincided. Or Kennedy show debuted the day after my second daughter was born, so it's been nice to be able to spend some time with my actual family. Right. Well, it was an interesting combination because you had Kennedy being funny and pop culturey, Camille being almost sort of flippant. <laughs> And then you giving sort of an economic background to the numbers. And that's what I've always admired about libertarians. You seem to be the only one that doesn't have Asperger's. Is they can, <laughs> all, they can all go through the numbers for you. And that is a huge problem with the left and a lot of Republicans, really. They don't know how many legals there are, uh, how the, the GDP has changed in the past eight years. When liberals say that Obama is doing incredibly well and has, you know, uh, dropped unemployment... Uh, it's, it only seems to be the libertarians that it can exactly explain the flaw with that argument. Yeah, I mean, part of 
what we have found in, in the sort of DNA of a reason, which has been around since 1968. The guy who started it was a crazy uh, objectivist, uh, brilliant. Uh, Asperger's? Uh, more than that. I mean, he spent a lot of time in institutions. Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's not that funny. The man died a few years ago and, and had, a, had largely a sad life. But he was a great inspiration to Louis Rossetto. They were good friends and helped kind of his... I don't deep, know who Louis Rossetto is. He's the founder is. of Wired magazine. Oh, okay. Um, uh, libertarian. He wrote a piece for the New York Times magazine in like 1971 talking about how libertarians, the new it thing... Uh, a lot of that was inspired by Lanny. Um, in the first issue of the magazine, it said, you know, it'll be uh, uh, logic, not legends, uh, coherence, not contradictions. And um, he, the the responsibility for the magazine quickly passed over into other people. But the idea always was we're outnumbered. We are actually outnumbered, you know, uh, in the world here, um, intellectually, in the political game. We don't have a team naturally. So in order to be persuasive to people who don't necessarily agree with us, who didn't wake up in the morning, you know, uh, agreeing with our basic set of assumptions, we've got to be better at arguing facts and showing our math than everybody on all sides. And that's the only way you can do it. And that's it's something that attracted me to reason even before I really self-identified as a libertarian. It just, I felt like one, they hated politics almost as much as I did, which I found refreshing. And then two, like it was sort of, it was, it was pluralistic in that way and sort of seemed intellectually honest. And I've always liked that type of approach. Yeah. That reminds me of after Obama was reelected, Nick Gillespie tweeted that, uh, who cares who's president? It's it's just a figurehead that's up there. Let's deal with issue by issue. That, this isn't I mean, a win or a loss. This is this is a, a very important insight that people will forget every time. They're going to forget it very especially strongly this time because Rand Paul, who's you know the most significant libertarian-ish person to have a shot at winning the nomination in you know a very long time. Um, people get so focused on the presidential politics of it and know Rand is selling us out on this and we all that lost kind of stuff. And they won. No, the thing that's happening this year in 2015 that is the most interesting, I think, in terms of public policy and politics is not the presidential race. It's criminal justice reform. It's we're actually seeing things like asset forfeiture um, where cops just steal your stuff. That's finally starting to be rolled back. Stuff that Re Reason's been working on for 25 years. Yeah, well, the they steal drug dealer stuff. They steal drug dealer stuff. They steal a lot of stuff. I mean, they only they've only peeled off this. This much, but there are there's now legislation that has a, a legitimate shot at passing that will be much more serious about uh, blocking their ability to do that. The drug war is is being peeled back bit by bit right now, and all this stuff is happening not because of individual top down kind of politicians. It's happening despite them. I mean, the only reason why Barack Obama is uh, you know has changed at all on and he hasn't changed much on issues relating to the drug war, even gay marriage, this kind of stuff, is because the culture changed under him and forced him to move in at least a, a direction where he's not raiding medical marijuana dispensaries at twice the rate that George W. Bush ever contemplated, which is something that he did for a long time and never really got the the heap of scorn that he deserved. So it's what happens to the culture underneath. And a lot of that culture, it isn't like, a thousand percent libertarian or anything like that, but the moves that it's making are in that direction. And I think that's way more interesting and helpful long-term than whoever the fuck wins presidency. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I'm optimistic about young people because they're internet generation people and they are into facts and they can look up stuff right away. And they're totally over race. 
the way baby boomers talk about race or uh, gays and homophobia and Indiana religious freedom laws, when you talk to 21-year-olds, it doesn't even register with them. They, they don't even see the same sort of prejudices we see. So they're over the fact that Barack Obama's black. I'm talking about millennials right, right now. And they just can go over the numbers. And especially young men, they love being able to win an argument with numbers. Yeah, I mean, I, I broadly agree with you, but I think we're also seeing, um, you know, I'm worried about the kind of millennial safe space nonsense. Yes, definitely. I'm worried... I mean, the that sense of tolerance as just a basic given and pluralism, I think more than tolerance and tolerance is, I think, a, a kind of a misnomer there. But like um, just understanding that people are different and weird and that's fine. Just kind of moving on and not being hung up about them. I think that's all to the good. What's not to the good necessarily is how that translates in some areas of the left now um, to this total itchy trigger finger on everything having to do with perceived race, gender, and discrimination, and things like that. I mean, the fact that Salon.com, which in the 1990s was a very kind of pluralistic, free speech, in-your-face, politically incorrect institution, um, as was the New Republic in a different way, both of them have now gone into pure 100% identity politics all the time. And I think some of that must be reflective of a, at least a minority culture that that's coming from millennials. You know, I mean, the college campus stuff right now is you're right. Is, you're right. Is incredibly awful on many levels. My the the what's hard to figure out is how much of that is just like the core, you know, 5% of the people who actually, you know, work at the college newspaper or care about campus politics versus the 80% who just want to play beach volleyball and get wasted and, and act like normal people. Right. Um, so I, I, I guess I, I should have been more specific there. They're definitely converted as a generation to the dark side. But I guess I was saying I feel like there's some hope for the, the chosen few to go against this partisanship and deal with facts and numbers. I mean, 10 years ago, you didn't even say libertarian. You said... Uh, I'm a socially liberal fiscal conservative. Yeah, you try to find a way to, to, to dodge out of it. Uh, well, you didn't even know. The word wasn't spoken. I mean, Ron Paul was a freak. He was some sort of weird Fed guy Yeah, uh, who was into gold or something. Uh, he might as well have been Alex Jones talking about 9-11. But now you have a show on Fox Business. It's 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 You see Rand Paul and Ron Paul in the news every day. Yeah, and uh, I mean, Rand is in interesting to watch on this. He's always fighting or has an, an, uh, a strange relationship with the term. When he first came up, he wouldn't, he actually uh, penned a, uh, a USA Today op-ed after he won his first primary in Kentucky uh, against Mitch McConnell's hand-picked uh, successor uh, or you know, a candidate. He wrote a piece for USA Today saying, uh, libertarian in quotation marks, not so fast, in which he sort of said, no, I'm not really libertarian. I'm a constitutional conservative. That's the thing. And it was all positioning. Um, he There's a there's a thing. Well, in, he wants to win as a Republican, and then he wanted to Trojan a, horse it in. He wanted to win a statewide election in the South uh, and didn't want to scare people with a lot of crazy drug talk and the libertarian label. There's a moment in his uh, book, The Tea Party Goes to Washington, which came out the next year, uh, in which he... Sarah Palin just kind of up and endorsed him and uh, and he called her to thank her. And, and he's like, you know, I got to tell you that um, I, I, I'm kind of a libertarian. So I just want to make sure you realize that. And uh, and I'm not the world's biggest Sarah Palin fan, but her response, as reported by him, is pretty great, which is like, oh, honey, we're all a little bit libertarian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so now he he doesn't run from the label. He's still sort of fighting with it. And he's fighting with his with his father's base uh, for a variety of, of kind of uh, 
positioning reasons in the primary. But you're right. The label hasn't been tarnished. That's why Alternate and Salon.com and everyone spends so much time trying to tarnish it at this particular moment because they're afraid that millennials will take an Uber and say, right, so why the fuck do we have $750,000 tax medallions in New York City? Why is it that all of my favorite places to be and hang out, like San Francisco and New York uh, and Austin, uh, are the biggest assholes when it comes to stifling the very kind of creativity that we enjoy? Those millennials are, by the surveys that we have done, the least tethered to any kind of political labels or institutions in history, and it's not even close. They're, and they're not tethered either to any, like churches, or they just, they consider themselves independent, I think that's all to the good for the most part. I mean, it, the, for me, the one of the things that, that is uh, off-putting uh, and kind of brain-killing about partisanship and about just sort of modern politics is the way to just sort of herds people into tribes. So oh, yeah. that you know, it's sports. you know, it's, it's sports and you know what everyone's going to say a day and a half or a week and a half or a month and a half before they say it. Uh, and just the way that it short circuits the brain, I think the, the lure of kind of uh, independence starts in your own brain. It's like, okay, what happens if I am floating freely and have to totally think for myself? Then where do I go? Yeah. And, and you go to a lot of, of interesting places where you agree with these people on this one issue, and then you say, okay, I'm going to totally disagree with you about something else, but I'm not going to base my entire relationship with you on you know an overall kind of team membership thing. I think it's a much more healthy place to be, and that's where I think millennials are. And, and I think that's MSNBC's downfall is because it's all our team this, their team that, their team fucked up, our team's winning our team much has more than seats. fox it's a that's it's yeah people don't i think most of fox critics don't watch it i mean i have the only time i've gotten in trouble there it's for politically correct for violating pc laws right and i'm constantly with hannity i had to scream at these women that women aren't as strong as men and they can't hold their booze as well as men right i mean i felt like i was on rachel maddow <laughs> the uh uh msnbc which i've gone on a lot and have uh, enjoyed uh, going on there over the years um has a much, or at least up until now, they're kind of uh, uh, blowing up their whole format, but um, has had a much bigger sense of the editorial we. You know, we believe this, we uh, we think this. And Fox, it has it in some places, but but, but less. But it's not the future. I mean, that, that Times uh, Magazine cover story about Megyn Kelly was all about how she's not predictable, and yeah. she'll ask uncomfortable liberal questions to a Republican. Yeah, and just challenge people. I mean, that's the, that's the point of doing, you know, good broadcast journalism in general is even if you don't agree with your line of, of questioning, you, you're supposed to challenge the person in front of you and not just cup them. Uh, well, the problem with arguing with liberals, I find, is they lie and they make up facts. And so you're left leaving the argument going, oh, OK, touche. Then you go home and look it up and you have to email them and go, that's not what happened at all well i mean come on i mean that this is not the domain purely of liberals as someone yes, it who is as someone who has talked about drug policy on the fox network with sean hannity you're going to tell me that the domain is the exclusive domain of liberals to i've kind argued of with sean about drugs and there was no misinformation he just at one point he said um oh you you've taken heroin you you think drugs are okay you want to take a look at keith richards and i was like he looks fucking great doesn't yeah. he I saw on Twitter uh, yesterday, uh, and I'm going to mangle the joke, but it's uh, something like, we have to start thinking now about how we're going to uh, leave uh, our world to Keith Richards. <laughs> 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 he's going he's to out-survive us all. But no, at least I mean on Hannity, uh, 
you, you can argue these points. I mean, he had a mob last week of, of 20 people disagreeing. Yeah. I, mean, I don't see that on MSNBC. Or Bill Maher, they always have their token conservative, who is usually well-educated and knows what they're talking about. So it's, it's a powerful uh, guest. But it's always this sort of token gesture. And there's tokens on. There can be tokens on Fox as well. Yeah, that's true. Um, um, I don't know. I, I, I believed like perestroika. Collectivism begins in the home uh, and in your own brain. And so I'm very hesitant to uh, ascribe a general tendency to anyone, even libertarians, except for the aspect. Yeah, it's thing. ironic that we're talking about partisanship and l- lumping people together while criticizing grouping people together. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's 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 the thing. And, and it can, if I look back at my own stupid career, which is now 28 years of doing this, um, in the moments that I feel any sense of regret, and there are blessedly few, it has when I went for the, um, the very quick lumping them together in some category, like, oh, of course, like for instance, I was wrong, and this is the major way that I've changed my politics after being exposed to libertarianism. Um, I presumed that if on campaign finance reform, which I used to believe I was on the side of the progressives on this and Ralph Nader and stuff, which um, is what limited, which limited that money is destroying politics and that kind of stuff. Um, that's corrupting our democracy. And it explains why I'm not getting the outcomes that I prefer. Um, and so, uh, and, and one of the reasons why I was able to dismiss the uh, counter argument, which was a free speech argument, and I'm normally always on the side of free speech and always have been, was that Mitch McConnell was making that argument. And so by definition, Mitch McConnell, come on, come on, are you serious? <laughs> he, so you cares abandoned about, it. he cares about free speech. And I regret that conclusion and that dismissal of him and uh, in general, and I've done that to people all over the spectrum but on, you on didn't, rare occasions. You didn't, so you, you regretted judging him, but you didn't fundamentally change your position. I on did him. actually. Oh, uh, good. I, I, was I act- think you have to do that once a year. I was actually talked, I, you know, I, I, was, I have concluded that I was wrong about that and written and talked about this uh, in various fora, talking to Brad Smith of the former FEC chairman and, and other people like that and seeing um, the way that can't, I mean, Campaign finance reform was used to block a documentary. At some point, you know, right. At some point, sorry, stop with your talk well, about corporations. The government used it, yeah, to try to throw Dinesh D'Souza in jail. Yeah, it's, but Joe Walsh has a great solution. He goes, "You can have all the funding you want because money, by the way, is a good thing. If you have access to money, that's good. We have this 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 sort of it, money is evil, and and you have a better chance of getting through the eye of a needle than you have getting into heaven." If if you can get that much money together, you've got some sort of clout. I appreciate you. It's like when we were on Red Eye and we were talking about Donald Trump wants to have a debate uh, and we all scoffed at it saying, oh, he just wants to showboat because he's rich. He wants the debate to be on, on his turf. And uh, he just wanted to host it, by the way, not be part of it, obviously. And Andrew Breitbart goes, so? What's the matter with that? He says, successful American entrepreneur. I mean, that's bad now. Kind of successful. He sort of inherited a lot of money. I think it's less than he inherited at this point. But uh, the point what? he was broke when he started his real estate that's tirade un- on New York. That's uh, that's under dispute. Uh, the level of money that he inherited and what he has done since then. I've, I've seen I've seen pretty decent reporting that he has squandered as much as he has built. But really, yeah, it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't matter to your overall point at all. And I agree with you. I mean, it's funny to see the words like dark money uh, used out there. Yeah, or oil companies. Stossel talks about this all the time. Oil companies have record profits. Ew. I mean, the uh, there's two articles that are worth reading side by side, at least the leads of them side by side, by Jane Mayer, the same writer for The New Yorker. One came in 2004 or five. It was about 
uh, the interesting irony that three of the biggest uh, funders of ants of campaign finance uh, restrictions, George Soros, Peter Lewis, and John Sperling, um, how you know they've decided the Bush is pretty evil, and so they're really going all in in Democratic Party uh, politics and spending hundreds of millions of dollars, which is a little bit ironic given their history, saying that money is the root of all evil in politics. Yeah. But anyways, here's the interesting stuff that they're doing. So that was the story in 2004. 2009, I think it was, was... The evil Koch brothers and their dark money have a secretive organization that's trying to absolutely disrupt all American politics at its core due to nefarious self-interests. It's the same. It's really the same story. Both those things it were old, interesting, uh, longtime philanthropists who had made a ton of money in the world deciding late in life to switch from philanthropy to brass knuckle politics it's the same story but because it's liberal instead of conservative conservative instead of liberal one is evil horrible dark money and the other is like people just trying to do good for their own sense of uh, of wonderfulness this is why i'm glad you're here because i don't have the time or the iq to do my research but i like sure. to just get information from you and then spout it at dinner parties it's, like i know what i'm talking come about. at me come at me bro don't democrats and the left in general get more funding than the right if you look at capitol hill and the top people getting money, the vast majority are Democrats. I think that's true. Uh, I think that's Jim true. Jim Goad wrote about that on Tacky Man. Um, he broke it all down. But the other thing I've noticed about the funding too is the Koch brothers seem to want to fund, you know, uh, media and other things that promote the free market, whereas Soros. Though he funds the left liberal media, he also funds riots, uh, civil unrest. I mean, everything bad you say about the Koch brothers and funding applies to Soros. Here's uh, I'm I, uh, very familiar with uh, Soros's work in Eastern Europe, where he's the biggest single anti-communist philanthropist in the history of the world. Really? Yeah. That's confusing because sure is because if you go to anti-cop rallies here that are funded by Soros to the tune of thirty-three million dollars a year. All the pamphlets in these rooms are all communist. And I don't mean socialist. I mean hammer and sickle. Red Flag is the name of the magazine. I don't know to what extent that Soros is funding hammer and sickle magazine there. I'm hearing it for the first time here. It's the movement. I'm hearing it for the first time here. But I can tell you that his interest in uh, philanthropy started off almost all outside of America in the 80s. Uh, as a way to help dissidents in the communist world, because he came from Hungary and uh, and had a sense of trying to help people out. So, and then he had a head injury. <laughs> uh, no, I mean his his groups there. Um, uh, you know, he helped give uh, uh, running water to Sarajevo. It was on, under siege. He spent fifty million dollars. Um, making sure that Russian nuclear scientists didn't turn around and start working for Pakistan. Um, he just spent money in the the most illiberal post-communist and communist places to try to open them up and create a Central European So we're university. talking the 80s and 90s now. Yeah, and he still funds those things. That still has been the biggest part of his philanthropy. And then in the States, he was mostly anti-death penalty, uh, pro-assisted suicide, I believe, and pro-legalization of pot. And he started funding those things, I think, in the 90s. And then 
he freaked out one day and concluded that George W. Bush was a Nazi. And when he did that, then he went whole hog into media matters and all these kind of disreputable, I think, uh, organizations in an attempt to mirror what he thought was what the right had been doing all these years. And now in the process of that, I think he has sullied much of what was legitimately interesting about both his work and also his thought. But getting back to your kind of money and, and why we should allow, be happy that people are spending money on this stuff. Um, Spending money on politics in particular is about the biggest waste of money imaginable. You don't get what you want. Like George Soros giving money to politicians has done nothing to help him about the death penalty and about the war on drugs. Well, he seems to be discouraging free market capitalism, which is how he makes his bread and butter. He was pushing, he was funding net neutrality. Yeah. Isn't that bad for you, George? Sure. Um, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I like to tweet that we're live now. Yeah. Uh, do you. Can you tweet me, John? Um, I, I emailed you or the link. You can email me the link. And does this email include uh, the, the Skype? No. No, but the Skype I've been putting up on the... I'm going to be putting that up on the lower deck. Okay, so I'm going to tweet, we are live now. Please do. My name is Matt Welch, in case you want to uh, include me in I there. I have no way of knowing if that's at, true. At Matt Welch. And then do you want, do you want the phone number for, uh, for call-ins? How did you get verified? I can't get verified. Uh, they helped me at Fox, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. They know a guy? Apparently. I just assumed it was uh, left-wing uh, bias. Yeah. We are live now. Call in. Wait, I can't say call in if I don't know how they call. They can call in 347 Okay. 480 Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> 347 480 480 1033. 1033. Okay. I'm actually probably going to regret that because I have so much I want to talk to you about. Um, let's stop talking about funding because that's yeah, a whole yeah, thing. I want to get into cool. charter schools and how I wish they yeah. were more profitable because money is what you know makes things last until next year and you want more trees, you got to buy more lumber and money, money, money. But uh, I would like to uh, say some problems I have with libertarians. Let's hear it. And the top of that list has got to be this open borders bullshit. Right. Uh, are you for open borders? I am not necessarily open for open borders. My institution is. Um, so that's a, a little bit awkward. I'm, I, I, which is to say, I'm not really sure what open borders in practice is supposed to mean. Well, I'll tell you what it means today. It means uh, hampering border guards. It means not prosecuting illegal aliens for being illegal aliens. It means freaking out uh, about even checking their ID and calling it driving while brown. Uh, and it means just accepting that 15 million are here and they're going to stay here forever, and the amount that come through every day will continue ad infinitum. Yeah, most of that stuff doesn't give me the, the cold sweats in the way that it does you or just the sense of legitimate uh, outrage at it. I look at immigration fundamentally as a prohibition question. Well, wait a minute. This is already, I'm already pissed off. You should be. Uh, immigration is, uh, can we at least separate it into legal immigration with visas and green card, which I had to pay through the nose for. Right. And I'm still not complete, uh, and I mean that spiritually. Yeah. And then there's illegal immigration, which is basically Mexico, Texas, uh, and California, and where the 99% of of our illegals are from, and 100% of our population growth. Um, 
question those numbers, but the uh, no, looking at it as a prohibition issue, the fact of having 11 million or 15 million illegal people, whenever you have 10 million people or so who are illegals while doing whatever, uh, if it jaywalking is, you know, smoking pot, whatever, when you ever have a number that large, I think it is a perfectly good time to sit around and say, okay, what is the legal regime here? What do we, what about our laws is helping to encourage that large number? And it's my contention and reasons contention that the law is overly restrictionist in the number of people who want to come here and should be allowed to come here. So I would, there, I would. There's not enough legal immigration. Yes, I mean the number of but unskilled. There's more legal immigrants in America than all other countries combined. Big country, yeah. I mean that's part of that's part of what we do, what we are, and who we do, and who we do. Does that make sense? This is uh, who we, I think underneath the Statue of Liberty, that's what the plaque says. <laughs> this is who Bring we Bring us do. your tired huddled masses, because that's how we do. Uh, no, I mean, uh, it's a big country, and population growth is great uh, in general. And so you don't been... believe me that it's 100% I uh, immigrants? What? The population growth. Uh, the native no. population is a complete flat line. No, that sounds about right. We're at two one and two two as the as the birth rate. Yeah, yeah they call it the wedge, yeah. and the wedge is all the new, mostly illegals, and they're not assimilating. Is another pet peeve I have. I don't think that there's. I don't think that there's any evidence to back up that they're not assimilating at any rates. That's different. How about than amnesty the past? towns where entire towns are speaking in Spanish in city hall? They are changing the laws. They're ma making they're making the the cops uh, less strict about drunk driving. Cal California's mayor in in 1900, not California's mayor, California's governor in 1900, Pio Pico, didn't speak English. Uh, you know, we have actually assimilated people now. I think better than we have in the past. There, yeah, there are shanty towns. There, there are groups. There, are, there are always. I mean, look at the at the popular New York press uh, all throughout the the turn of the of the 19th or the 20th century. It's nothing. But talk about the unassimilatable Irish, the unassimilatable uh, Eastern European yeah, Jews. Yeah, but the Irish were people. proud Americans. They would have everybody American becomes, flags. Everybody what about La Raza? You didn't have La Irisha. La Raza, like a, a lot of campus crap, uh, is this big and this important in the, in the scheme of things. La Raza doesn't run anything. What does La Raza do? How I, many? I don't know the scale for your hands there. This, uh, this yeah, big, this, what's... As opposed to what? This big. This building? <laughs> this big. I've been hearing about La Raza in Southern California for so long. I mean, since my lousy Chicano studies class at UC Santa Barbara a thousand years ago, La Raza has no armies. La Raza has no actual influence on the culture out there. It has a huge cultural influence. That ethos, the, the, the influence is you are Mexican. You're a Mexican-American. You're not an American-American. I think that's and that's a new phenomenon. I, it's not a new phenomenon. I mean, the the whole rise. Our parents assimilated. Our parents were pr the, our parents every, were proud everybody, Americans. Everybody has said the same thing at every stage in our immigration history, which is right. Exactly they were what wrong saying. before. Now we're right. <laughs> no, no. That's what I hate about gangs in New York. We always fucking we always it's supposed to be this thing. Look, the Irish had trouble. They were the dead rabbits. Now they're normal. Mexicans are the same. We always assimilate. MS-13 is a lot worse than the dead rabbits. Right now, and MS-13 is awful. Right, and and like. The, the people on the front of the line who should be deported are MS-13 gang members. We're not going to disagree about that kind of stuff. Right now, California, for the first time in its history, has 50% or more of its population who were born in the state. California is no longer attracting immigrants from within the country and, and uh, increasingly immigrants from Mexico. Net immigration from Mexico has flattened.
It's, yeah, because they're done. <laughs> it's it's a Mexican state. Uh, and you know no, what's not, me it's about not that. a Mexican state? It's going it's, to become race-based politics where the Mexicans vote for the Mexican guy, the whites vote for the white guy, blacks vote for the black guy. I don't think so. In fact, I think the fact that uh, California is, in, uh, uh, is a multi-glot of a bunch of different places. I know it's not a word. Don't. No, I'm, I'm squinting way. because sometimes people say things and I don't believe that they believe like, do you honestly think blacks won't vote for the Obama guy? No, I do. I, know, I do. But no, I'm, I'm talking about California, the future California politics. So you see a Mexican in California saying Cruz no. Cruz Bustamante did not win against Arnold Schwarzenegger. And there is no universe in which he was going to. Okay. Uh, and, and that's generally true. Uh, Antonio Villaraigosa is not going to be the governor of California, despite the fact that there's a lot of Latinos there. It, it takes much more than that. And California is not just Latino or Mexican or whatever. It is Asian to a large degree. Going to college campus, it ain't Mexican. Well, all it's, college campuses are Asian at this point. Right. But this is, but the fact because it's Asian, it's actually changing things. Right now, the biggest pressure on affirmative action policies at universities, I think, culturally and socially, is coming from Asians because they're getting a raw deal. There's a, the suit that a guy's throwing. It's going to be at the Supreme Court um, where he's targeting Harvard. I mean, Harvard has had the exact same number of Asian American or Asian uh, admittances every single year for the last 10 years, even though the applicant pool is going like this. Asians are getting the raw deal in affirmative action. Yeah, but, but I think- this And that's changing the politics in places like California because it's no longer just a simple, oh, you know, it's going to be Latinos, it's going to be blacks, it's going to be whites. Asians are saying, no, it's, it's Indians, it's us. And your remedies for the things that you perceived as problems 50 years ago are hurting us, so we're going to dismantle them. That is an interesting thing, but, and, and, it's, and it's not a dystopian at all. I don't I don't usually defend affirmative action, but you need to restrict Asians in college because they are so smart, they will take it over, and the library becomes too packed. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember at college, you know it's time to leave the library when you look up and you're the only non-Asian there. Mm, That's I, usually around 9, 10 p.m. For me, I knew it was time to leave the library when the security guard realized that I was... Uh, Masturbating? ...putting backpack <laughs> or books in my backpack on the balcony and doing that kind of stuff. Um, what throwing them off the balcony? You were a book vandal. <laughs> a little bit. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah. Book I just, I book just burning libertarian. I just admitted a crime. No, yeah. The the problem with the uh, with Asians and affirmative action in college is it it opens a Pandora's box of why am I, why is a middle class black guy getting promoted over me, a dirt poor Cambodian, and we get into race and IQ, and it becomes a horrible undiscussable subject but this lawsuit that uh is going on is is going to open that box and it's i hope everyone gets back to ground zero which is the libertarian way which is blind people evaluate your sats no that's that's where it's and going you get in if you're smart and if that means that all of mit is asian sorry that's I mean, that's what's going to happen. It, it, I mean, there will be, after these things are shot down at the Supreme Court, and there's going to be, I think, a, a eventual systematic dismantling of affirmative action in college admissions, probably. I think it's, it's, a, uh, it's a useful uh, prediction. Um, well, the problem with that tampering happens, is you always end up hurting the people you purport to help. So even with affirmative action, if you take blacks and you force them into a college that they didn't have the grades for... Studies show that they end up just dropping out entirely. Right. Just like you and I, if, well, you're smarter than me, but if I was sent to Harvard 
in math. I actually, my dad made me take math in university, and it was so fucking hard that I'd be sitting in the front, and blood would just slowly come dripping out of my ears. I'm a, I actually am a uh, college dropout, or at least I was uh, expelled from university, and I wonder now, because <laughs> I was just thinking about in terms in terms of legacies, because I'm sure that the studies show the same thing with underqualified legacy admissions who just come from families that were able to get into Harvard or MIT or whatever. Um, if you're underqualified, you're not going to do well in college, just in general. My brother went to UC Santa Barbara, so I wonder if the fact that I was a semi-legacy, I got in over my head. I just wasn't smart enough, Gavin. I wish I took forestry or something. That math was way too hard. Okay, I wanted to bring this up earlier, yeah. but um, speaking of hanging out with smart guys, by the way, folks at home, I cannot recommend doing this enough. You, It takes so long to research subjects, politics, which is why I discourage women from getting involved in politics in general. It's boring male nerdy stuff. It's like Dungeons and Dragons. And I kind of am a woman when it comes to my intelligence. So what I like to do is just talk to smart guys, get all the data from them. And then when they, uh, when someone says you're wrong, you go, oh, really? So Matt Welch is an idiot now? <laughs> Instead of you Done. being wrong. So I have some tropes I keep getting about our president that I'm trying to find on my phone here. And uh, I see these again and again, and they look like gobbledygook to me. I can't believe the left keeps screaming this about Obama because it's not the Obama I know. Um, so I emailed you this list last night, and you took it apart with in all caps pretty quickly. Um I'm going to try to dig it up now. but Do you want to uh, take a call, Gavin, at any point? Okay, let's take a call while I try to dig up this list. Headphones on. We're going in, Matt. Uh, technology is so handy, isn't it? All you do is type in the name and spend an hour trying to find what you're trying to find. I love that little Okay, I robot. found it. I found it. Okay, good. We've got a guy coming in from the, what's the area code there? 631? Uh-oh. Uh, in the future, John, I would appreciate it if you would wear a Harry Potter cloak when you uh, come over to the table because you block the view of the guest and I. You run on tight ship here. I do. Yeah. When was the last time you got so drunk you puked? Um, it might have been Václav Havel's funeral. Who is that? Uh, uh, former president of Czechoslovakia and Czech Republic, dissident play rock. You're looking but at me like I'm crazy. You don't know all the presidents of Czechoslovakia? No, I mean, he was the single most important dissident in all of Central Europe, uh, with the arguable exception of Solzhenitsyn. Um, and, uh, and, you know, started his, started, predicted all the ways in which the Soviet Union would collapse and communism would collapse and was the uh, biggest sort of intellectual reason for making that happen. And it all started with defending a rock band from unjust persecution. What was the band? The Plastic People of the Universe. <laughs> what year was this? 1975. They were, uh, they were arrested for um, disturbing the peace and uh, for also growing their hair too long. And this was in Czechoslovakia. Uh-huh. And this was Stalin was running Czechoslovakia. Then. More or less, um, they had uh, after the 1968 Soviet invasion, uh, they had uh, created a, a very stifling uh, period of normalization, uh, in which you know hundreds of thousands of people left the country, and the people who stayed couldn't get their stuff published. They were frequently jailed and all this kind of stuff. And this rock band was locked up. 
um, and set on trial. And uh, Havel, who had been uh, who had participated in in the kind of cultural opening of the 60s that happened for a brief moment in Prague, um, he just finally said, fuck it. He snapped. He said, enough's enough. And he decided to openly cover um, the whole uh, trial as it happened. Uh, and he was like, uh, and I'm writing this here, dear Mr. Public Prosecutor, who is certainly reading this and trying to censor this. Uh, I do not care for your world of cunning shits. Um, I'm like, just like, bring it on. And he, they started a thing called Charter 77 based at, out of uh, this a group that came up to defend this rock band. And Charter 77, this brilliant idea that petitioned uh, the heads of the country to live up to their own constitution because communist countries actually had halfway decent constitutions. They were just horrible communist dictators who didn't follow it up. So he said, you're violating all the terms of your own constitution and of these universal human rights uh, declarations that you have signed. Live up to it. We're all signing openly. And everybody who signed it and wrote it, they all went to jail. Uh, but it was an incredible galvanizing moment for the rest of the East Bloc. They're like, you can live openly in total defiance of people who you know will lock you up and you're just going to do it anyways. What balls you have. And and that really triggered the dissident movement there in Czechoslovakia. And uh, after the Velvet Revolution or during the Velvet Revolution, he was brought out and, uh, uh, you know, he spent a lot of time in jail uh, in the interceding years. How long was he there for? Jail totally uh, off and on for five years. Hmm. Um, uh, wrote a great book called Letters to Olga to his wife uh, from jail. Uh, and he was just always under constant surveillance um, uh, his whole life and couldn't get anything published. He was all doing the Tsamis dot in the West. Um, and he was by acclamation uh, kind of uh, declared the president. And so they were able to engineer a revolution without firing a shot. And the playwright dissident rock fan uh, became the president. Uh, and his writings and his uh, approach to life is probably the single biggest kind of inspiration uh, for me over the years. So I was at Havel's funeral uh, a couple of years ago in in Prague, since you asked when the last time I puked, and uh, and I had friends uh, who I knew from Prague who said, you know, uh, pour a forty out for us and 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 do it right. So by doing it right, I got extremely wasted and threw up in the castle. I think we just learned a great lesson there, which is don't, don't ask, ask a Hungarianophile uh, the last time he puked when he was drinking. Yes. Uh, caller, are you still there? Yeah, yeah. What's your name and where are you from? Hello. What's your name and where are you from? Can you hear me? Yeah, hey, uh, my name is uh, Vincent Macaluso, and I'm from Long Island, but I go to NYU. I'm in Manhattan now. Do you have a question for our guest? I do. What, uh, it's for both of you. Uh, what are your opinions on passing English as the national language? I'm not interested in it. Is it not the national language? I mean, it's funny. My wife, who's uh, French, uh, and like Gavin, uh, has gone through the horrifying uh, immigration and naturalization process in this country. Um, and I, I don't think I'm throwing her on the bus here when I say that on the days that she goes in to vote and she sees, you know, voting stuff in Chinese, she's filled with a with a blinding fury and like, come on, why did I why did I learn English if uh, if uh, other people can't uh, be bothered to learn it to vote? Uh, so I get all that. I I just don't think it's necessary for anything in particular to uh, declare that it's we have a English huge language. part of assimilation. If you can go to a Korean school and you can get a job where you only speak Korean, you are living in a fifth column. You're not really in not America. In a fifth column. A fifth column is someone that's actively trying to undermine you. And what happens is if you speak only that that first language, you will not attain anything like the people who speak English. And everybody knows this. And so that's why so many immigrant people who come here don't even speak to their own kids in their native tongue because they want them to speak English. That was the way it was. It Today, still is. In it's Chinatown, not, half the not, schools are just Chinese. It's not You have people different. born here. I, I know people born here who have an accent in English. That's ridiculous. 
And by the way, caller, here's a thing about English that is never discussed. It may not be the prettiest language in the world, but it is the best language in the world. It's the best to say. It is the Swiss army knife of languages. It's efficient. It's got none of this masculine and feminine bullshit. It rolls off the tongue. You get right. Look at every time you see a translation of I went to the store in another language. There's like 10 times as many words. Sure, Italian and French and all those stupid Latin languages are very floral. You should definitely use them if you're writing a poem to a lady you're courting. But as far as the day to day goes, you cannot beat this wonderful, ugly, utilitarian language. Not only that, but we actually have like five times the words uh, as French does and most other languages because we've assimilated so many other people's words and we just sort of use them and, and adapt them and mongrelize them. Ultimately, the market works here, people. Like, if you are a third generation... Okay, but he's talking about voting where it says signs in Chinese and Korean. Yeah. That's, that's not the free market. That's the government taking my money and spending it on stupid translations with archaic languages like Chinese where you need a fucking paintbrush to write it. <laughs> hey, guys, update your language. How big is your keyboard? Three meters wide? I don't think that you need the broad force of law to make sure that people speak English. People will I, speak English. I agree with that. What I'm talking about is the money we spend on bilingualism, trilingual. I mean, in Canada, you're on a plane in fucking Vancouver, and they're telling you to fasten your fucking ceinture en français. And I you go, there's no English, there's no fucking frogs on this plane. And not only that, but they, uh, you know, uh, the only place in the world that you see the word arret on a uh, stop sign. The only place <laughs> in the world. Quebec. No, it's literally illegal to have English in Quebec. Yeah. There's language police that go around. So I've seen what happens when you enforce a language. Wait a minute, I'm contradicting myself. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Help, get me out of this argument. No, no I, I've seen what happens when the government gets involved in language and bilingualism. We should not enforce English, but it should be the national language, and you don't have to speak any other language in any situation, on any phone, in any government document, you only have to speak English. And if you don't, if you're a Mexican old lady, then you got to bring your fucking son to the DMV to translate for you. Hmm. I think that uh, you'll, you'll run into e eventual problems doing that. In that free market problems uh no governmental problems of like if, if you are in a place where there's a lot of people who don't speak english or some if there's one person who doesn't speak english and they see a, a crime committed and they go to the police station and the police says sorry you don't speak english you're going to want someone who can actually translate and it's not going to be her brother right well i'll tell you what will happen the criminal will kill that person for being a snitch and we'll have a lot more people learning english because they'll go you know she passed away. I think we can leave it there. Okay. Thanks, caller. You had some questions for Thank me? Thank you. Kevin? Thank you. Yeah, I did. Six, three, one. Um, I want to ask, I want uh, you to equip me with uh, numbers so I can argue with liberals. Yeah. Okay? So, one of their big talking points is um, listed as the following. You ready for this? Sure. Uh, Seven million net new jobs with 20 months still left in his term. Um, we right now have the lowest employment rate, the lowest percentage of able-bodied working age Americans are working right now than we've had in any year since 1978. So the trick is he's playing with the numbers because we've lost employable people Ergo, unemployment appears to go down. If, if a huge swath of the population retires, 
all of a sudden unemployment goes down because those people are considered retired, there's not unemployed. A, there's been a big spike in disability benefits. But I mean, the, actually, the number that you're talking about is is net new jobs, right? So this, this is not the unemployment rate, which they're also crowing about. Let's uh, shelve that aside for a second. Okay. But that's also the, the, the state of employment in this country is terrible. It is absolutely terrible, right? So if you're going to brag on net new jobs, you can always create a data uh, period, especially starting when everything really sucked and it really sucked when Barack Obama took office and say, oh, we've created X million new jobs. You know, uh, first of all, I think it was seven million new jobs. Yep. Uh, the net new jobs. Net new jobs. The net new jobs during the Clinton presidency, if I'm not mistaken, was 20 million that they like to take credit for. Uh, the Reagan pre presidency, God knows how many it's going to be, but it's going to be a hell of a lot more than seven. So seven million is not that impressive. The president obviously doesn't create it. And our overall employment situation right now is awful. It is. It's it's terrible. Uh, see, that's another trick. When they say seven million net new jobs, you go, what was it with other presidents at this term? Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, the, big, the biggest comparable um, that is legitimate, I think, is comparing Obama's economic record to Ronald Reagan's. They both took office under very dire circumstances. Uh, and we'd had uh, Obama's was maybe a little bit sharper uh, and can make the claim, although I don't believe it, that the world was on the verge of total financial uh, collapse. Um, Reagan's, it was more uh, entrenched. We just had, you know, double digit uh, unemployment, double digit inflation. It was awful um, and had been for a long time. Uh, and so what happened there? They both said they came into office and and Obama used to con conceive of himself as the liberal Reagan. That's I mean, he was reading books about Reagan. He was writing essays about him. He really thought that he could uh, do this kind of thing. But he's not a free market guy. Not at all. But like uh, but in the sense of, uh, you know, doing the Democratic uh, equivalent of it. Um, look at the comparative recoveries of the two economic recoveries of the two presidencies after they hit bottom uh, got worse under their watch and it starts to get better the Reagan recovery average growth per year economic growth was about 4.5 percent of GDP it was sizzling there was you know when Reagan gave his his uh, State of the Union address in 2014 uh, not 2014, but that was the equivalent of Obama. So 1986, in that year of his presidency, he was just basically America's back, baby. There's a new sense of confidence. Granted, this is Reagan, so he was always, you know, saying something like that. But it was totally credible, and it was credible to a degree that the Reagan-Thatcher kind of, hey, look, we're totally vigorous now. Not only persuaded people in their own countries by through lived-in experience, but it also persuaded socialist. Western European countries like France, that the sort of Francois Mitterrand nationalization of industry was not going to work. They're going to have to flip and start privatizing. They won a big argument there at that moment. Think of what argument Obama Didn't has won. did Chile nationalize no. their copper at that time? Uh, I don't know uh, much about Latin America. Okay. Um, uh, but Western Europe, uh, they went from a great period of economic concentration and nationalization in the 80s to seeing what Thatcher and Reagan did and reversing course. Uh, Obama's growth rates in his recovery, which I put almost in air quotes, um, has been more like 2.3%. It has wow. been so, sluggish. Reagan's so Reagan was 4.5 in 86. The Obama equivalent in 2016 was what? 2.3. I mean, that, 2 that, these, these are averaged. Half. These are, it's half. It's averaged out over uh, the several years of both of their recoveries. The Reagan's goes like this. Obama's goes like this. And that's one of the reasons why we have this very sluggish uh, job growth. And we have this sort of sense a feeling of economic malaise because people haven't seen any kind of wage growth in 15 years. I mean, it, the malaise happened on Bush's watch. The bad policies certainly happen on Bush's watch too. And we've extended them. We haven't uh, dosed them. And the fact that the Democrats are walking around talking about hiking minimum wage kind of shows that they're completely 
completely exhausted at this point when it comes to having economic ideas. They're just throwing out 1970s. Just pay crap. people more. It's like an idiocracy where money. he goes, give everyone a million bucks. Yeah. Uh, would you say that? Um, uh, and I didn't blank just there. Mm-mm. It just this is such a heavy question. I like to preface it with a pause. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so o- Obama's recovery is half that of Reagan. Was it was? Oh yeah. People always say that he's reduced the deficit. But as far as my research goes, he's spent more and done more damage to the deficit than all other presidents combined. Correct. He came into office in 2008 saying that when by uh, George W. Bush, by having the deficit increase from five trillion to 10 trillion on his watch, which was brutal, which was brutal. People always say, why don't you why weren't you mad at George W. Bush? He was on the cover of the American conservative dressed as a clown in a sombrero and a poncho for having open borders. Conservatives hated the way he spended. I wrote a piece for the Orange County Register back when it was still a flagship libertarian newspaper uh, right before the election of 2004, uh, basically arguing, you know, to vote to reelect George W. Bush is like giving your, you know, crazy teenage kid five new credit cards like he had totally shopaholic yeah he totally squandered uh, any sense of, re- of fiscal responsibility so well, uh, I, well, I couldn't you argue you, you talk about economic malaise but i've my, the past you know few months i've sensed a lot of optim optimism about the economy and couldn't you argue that it's because congress strapped obama's hands behind his back yeah i mean it's hard to to tease out everything here um you know different uh different factors going into things. Um, but the fact is that when the sequestration cuts took place in which, you know, the cuts in the rate of growth, mostly in 2013 and 2014, uh, Republicans always learn and relearn about fiscal conservatives when they conservatism, when they actually don't run anything. And yeah. so uh, when they could oppose a Democratic president on this, and we sort of kept spending flat from roughly 2011, 2012 on and use the sequester for that. Um, this coincide. This was all, uh, you know, all the stories in the press and all the the, pre- the uh, press releases by the president were all. This is going to, uh, you know, throw grandma in the street. This is going to cause widespread economic. Yeah, Michelle economic Obama chaos. had to close down her garden. It was t- it was terrible. Like we, we were Couldn't no do longer, White House tours. We weren't going to be able to inspect the meat anymore, uh, <laughs> and people were going to start twitching. Um, uh, all that turned out to not be true, and also. Uh, uh, the unemployment emergency benefits thing was cut off about a year ago. And there are direct correlations you can see in people looking for work and finding jobs right at that moment, right when the cutoff happened, like suddenly when people knew that they weren't going to get free money anymore from the government, they started finding jobs and looking for them. Well, in ways isn't that, that always before. the way with unemployment insurance? 90% of them find a job just the day it runs out. It uh, Something close to that. There's definitely an effect. And, and it just happened in Maine where they said, how about everyone on welfare does some volunteer work 24 hours a month or something? And boom, 80 percent of their welfare recipients got jobs. Really? Yeah. That's interesting to uh, interesting to note. So, yeah, these things happened when these policies that were widely derided as being horribly atavistic, economically retrograde, were enacted. Uh, and many of them were enacted uh, uh, you know, against the wishes of the president. But it must be said that the Republicans just passed a budget blowing through, now that they run both houses of Congress, uh, Congress blowing through the uh, sequester caps and all this kind oh, of stuff. Great. They're back to spending a lot of money. They're gearing up. They're all talking about Jeb Bush. is like, we need to talk about what government's for and not against. <laughs> um, so we're, I think we're we're going to the eternal recurrence of Bush 
uh, Republicanism is uh, is still with us. Yeah, I don't want Jeb because I smell George on him. I want Cruz. But let's not get into that. Yeah. Okay, other point that we keep hearing about Obama. 16 million Americans with health insurance. Um, the numbers of... It's damnably difficult to measure what the... Uh, effect of Obamacare has been on the total number of insured, uh, partly because the Obama administration has been awful about uh, preventing people access to negative information. They've like stopped lines of information when they were coming out sort of badly. So uh, 16 million people uh, may have been, and and Peter Suderman at Reason.com is the best font of this uh, knowledge, and he wrote about this last week. Uh, better than I am. But um, 16 million people may have uh, signed up for or or received uh, Obamacare benefits. But what we don't know is uh, such questions as, well, were they insured before? Um, And something else. Yeah, how many people got kicked off? Kicked off and redone. And And how many people were forced to get it? Yes, that's an important question. Like uh, the the best reason for Obamacare, the one that I think is the only one that is persuasive, is that um, it sought to allow people to have insurance who had trouble or couldn't obtain it before. I've been in that situation, um, and it's awful. It it filled me with absolute fury. I couldn't get insurance in California for several years. Uh, And uh, so I understand that entirely. Uh, The question is how best to get there. They use the centralization kind of a way. And as part of that, a lot of people who don't want to get health insurance necessarily are forced into the pool. Um, And that's not we don't generally want to use force in this world with the government onto individuals. Uh, And I think it also blocks other reforms that could have been just as uh, easily allowable or or stimulative of people being able to get health insurance. One reason I couldn't get health insurance is because there's almost no insurers in California. If you don't get it from Kaiser or Blue Cross, you're out of luck for the most part. So So what do you you use now? uh, Reason has a health insurance uh, program with Anthem Blue Cross. Are you for national health coverage? I am not. uh, I have written in the past and got a lot of heat and, and reason for um, writing a column entitled "Why I Prefer uh, the French Healthcare System" because I'm uh, I'm uh, familiar with it, and I was pointed out that I prefer it as a patient. Like I, the way that it has affected me, I much prefer the French healthcare system because you can just go to the pharmacy and get your drugs. You don't have to see five diff- million different doctors to do it. You can actually there's responsiveness built into the system. They have some market mechanisms at the same time, you know, it's also part of the reason why France is had a 25 year economic malaise because their social welfare system is just too expensive. Yeah, um, they need nuclear power to keep their economy running. I, mean, they, I think the French healthcare system is much better than Canada's from what I can understand and certainly better than England's. England's, the National Health Service is, is awful. France has come close to, to doing it decently well, at least on the consumer end of socialized medicine, but the cost end is still a nightmare for them. Okay, next point. Um, the stock market more than doubles, and then that is combined with reducing unemployment rate by more than 40%. Right. So stock market more than doubles. I'm, I'm heartened to see that Democrats suddenly really care about Wall Street. Yeah, that is curious, right? What happened to Occupy Wall Street? Seems like a weird thing. I remember, uh, I covered the Ralph Nader campaign in 2000 and Jim Hightower used to always be out there giving speeches. People were paying $15 a throw to go see Ralph at uh, Madison Square Garden. It was a weird thing. Uh, and Jim Hightower would always say, yeah, Wall Street's whizzing, all right. It's whizzing on you and me, <laughs> which doesn't make any sense. Good. And is kind of funny. Whiz um, away. Whiz away. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, great. Uh, the When you have 
effectively no interest rates for six years, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, uh, the same Wall Street bankers who you pretend to hate are going to be laughing. They're, I mean, the Federal Reserve is giving people money, giving yeah. banks money. So what do you'd you have think to be an idiot. Not, even if you don't have a mortgage, you'd be dumb not to refinance your home yeah. with these this gift. Uh, so uh, I don't really see. Uh, I want the economy to do well. Uh, it's great if, if stocks do well or it's whatever. It's a, it's a market, uh, and so. But is is it the result of Obama's stimulation? Is it the result of him bailing out the the uh, car companies? I think it's much more directly attributable to two things. Uh, one is the, the zero interest rates, and also the Fed Federal Reserve policies have artificially propped. So up. it's fake. The, it's a bubble. The stock market is a bubble. The stock market is a bubble. What I, about what about but the there's bailing other, out the banks in the car? Okay, sorry. One other saying. aspect of the bubble, uh, which is maybe even more profound, is that America is kind of the place of last resort. Like we are, uh, we have the success curse, right? So if you're feeling uh, uncertain about all the misery in the world and the future of the euro and this and that, people will say, well. America's still 300 million people. It's always going to do reasonably well. It's always going to be oh. reasonably capitalist. So I'm, I'm just you know I'm going to bet on that. Uh, you know even if the fundamentals don't make a lot of sense right now. And you hear a lot of talk about that on Wall Street right now, where people justify uh, being bullish on this market not through any sense of belief, but because well we'll lose money if we don't. Stay well, that if you way. look at any investment, including pre-depression, and you graph it, it's going to go up at about 45 degrees in America. Over the long term, over the long term, over even over fifteen years. Although you're going, you can get hosed in thirty year increments, and people have, and and I and I, uh, my own investment strategy is to not lose money. So I don't, uh, I don't believe in long term forty five uh, percent growth. Curves. If you invested pre, right before the Great Depression, you'd still be ahead in thirty years. Right, but it is possible to find thirty-year increments where that doesn't work out. Um, it is. I ain't seen none. I'll 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 send you some of that email later. Uh, but you just asked <laughs> you asked me uh, and how that ties to unemployment. Right, the unemployment. I mean, that's uh, we've already sort of discussed. But that it's with it's the also the false bait. Less like the debt. I mean, the debt has gone from ten million roughly to I think seventeen or eighteen million now. So uh, Obama's like, yeah, we've reduced the rate of debt faster than anything else. Well, the biggest six years of debt have been the last six years. Right. So yeah, you've reduced rate because it started off as a trillion dollars in debt. For fuck's sake. I mean, so, yeah, okay, you reduce that, you know, the, the curve is this, but the amount, the load, we're going to be paying more on the interest of the debt than military spending. We spend a lot of money on military. That's going to, those lines are going to cross in about three years. More, so what is it, $600 billion we spend on the military? Yeah, you know. Six, and that's going to be just our interest. Yes, yeah. That's and, incredible. But before the end of uh, 2020, that's going to happen. Okay, how do you feel about him bailing out the banks? And because the, the liberal argument with especially the car companies is, we loaned the GM some money, they paid off their debt, now they're rocking. Yeah, no, I mean we lost a lot of money on that deal, um, uh, and also General Motors' biggest customer now is no longer individuals; it is the United States government. So it does what the government wants to do. We crammed down everybody. So except wait, what do you mean, like cop cars and? Military vehicles means that that it GM will act first in all of its policies, industrial policies, regardless of the actual product. But sometimes even with the product, 
with the United States government first in mind, oh. which is a recipe for long-term failure because car companies should be selling cars to people, not tweaking cars in ways that make the government happiest. Like they would push ethanol fuels because yes. Obama's got to be in his bonnet about energy. Exactly. And also have their own industrial labor contracts done in a certain way. The biggest fallacy- well, might, might that mean less outsourcing to Mexico? Might, but I don't care about that. I do. I don't. I do. I don't. I absolutely do. I absolutely don't. But I really do. I want jobs here. I want jobs here too. Uh, I think that the way to have jobs here is not to create artificial barriers to jobs going anywhere that they're going. We add value with intelligence in this country. And there's, I mean, there. the thing about the bankruptcy thing here or the uh, the the fallacy about the GM and everything like that was that if we didn't step in right now, there would be no car industry in Detroit. That is absolutely untrue. It wasn't liquidation that they faced. It was bankruptcy. Bankruptcy and liquidation are not the same thing. What happens in bankruptcy is that a bankruptcy court and various people who are looking at stuff say, okay, well, this parts factory that's absolutely thriving in South Carolina or Alabama wants or whatever, to buy it wants to buy it right and will revive it and actually have some sense of intelligence stuff and I think that if you had allowed that to happen there would have been less offshoring ultimately because as these companies have to restructure and do it ways that Washington prefer they're cooperating more with fiat and and uh, and car parts in Mexico and stuff like that okay so this last one uh it we've sort of already answered it with all the other responses but Growing GDP after second worst economic downturn in a century, making conservative heads explode. Uh, you already answered this with Reagan. You said, yes, it's growing. It was at rock bottom. It had nowhere to go but up, and it went up at a rate that sucked. Yeah. Um, you know, we 2.3% growth is nothing to brag about. We should have as kind of our baseline, you know, 3% growth at least, you know, uh, hopefully, preferably four, preferably more. So, um, and the fact that conservative heads explode is, uh, you know. That's not true. That's neat, I guess. But I mean, uh, you could get, a, maybe the worst that could happen if you are confronted with data that conflicts your beliefs is a bad headache. You might barf. You know, it, it reminds me, I mean, that attitude. Your head can't explode. There was a moment uh, in 2011 after uh, U.S. bombing in Libya. Oh, yeah, one guy's head exploded. I remember yeah, they happened. showed that on the... <laughs> Uh, that uh, where Gaddafi, you know, we got rid of Gaddafi from this bombing campaign and uh, the liberal commentariat exploded like a brain uh, in an end zone dance. They're like, ah, oh, all you conservatives and all you anti-war people and libertarians, you thought that we had no plan here, but we got rid of Gaddafi. See, bombing Libya was a great idea. Ha, 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 and yeah, boo, uh, to quote uh, Christopher Hitchens uh, about uh, Afghanistan prematurely in October of 2001. Uh, well, that turned out to be a, a shit show. Uh, yeah. You know, so, I mean. Uh, it's that, still a shit show. That kind of taunting is, is uh is not just juvenile, but it kind of uh, blocks you from seeing things that are more important, which is that the lived-in reality of a American uh, economy over the last 15 years has mostly been kind of tepid. We have malaise in this country, even as numbers have been improving modestly over the last well, couple of years. Well, there's so many things to impede you from going forward. I mean, even the uh, Obamacare concept, you get to a certain level of employees and you're punished. Right. So and we don't know. It's like how, the carrot is removed from the stick. We don't know yet how Obamacare. I mean, oh, I, the, we just went through the fifth anniversary of Obamacare and the president was uh, crowing about like, oh, you know, the economy's humming. I guess uh, everyone was wrong with their predictions. With the, we don't 
yet know the fallout yet. A lot of the stuff hasn't totally kicked in. This will be the first season that people's taxes are actually kind of grabbed because of this. So right. well, we're only going to find out the next couple of years what the economic impacts are, including on size of business and all that kind of stuff. We should be systematically looking to remove things that impede people from being able to do their business. And the and on the Democratic side, I'm seeing much to the contrast of the 1990s and the kind of new Democrat economics uh, of the time, Democrats are throwing more impediments to people just engaged in their daily business, whether it's minimum wage crap or whatever, uh, uh, more environmental regulations, which we're going to see in the next couple of years, uh, and now Obamacare. And all of these things, I think, are going to hurt job growth where it happens the most, which is in small new companies. Well, that really is the the... The only factor that matters is profits. And I'm going to have a guy who's running charter schools in Harlem here next week. And I was really disheartened to see how little money he makes despite having a thriving business with several charter schools all over the country now. He's only making about 90K a year. I want someone who comes up with that plan to be making five times that. So more people want to do it. Yeah. Um, I, although, you know, in the in the stupid politics of public education, there might be some political use to have uh, to have. Oh, you know, we're just we're making very modest gains. We're just helping uh, the kids outcomes right now. Yeah, it's definitely better for PR. OK, well, winding up here, uh, we've got an election did coming I, did up. I, did I cross the deadline? 20 minutes through the deadline. That's a record. Nice. We had Beyonce and Jay-Z yeah. here. And uh, they were announcing their imminent divorce. They run out of juice usually at minute 45, I've noticed. Well, they don't spend any time together is what she said. Yeah. And Solange came in here and she was livid because I had bumped her. Yeah. They said yes. And she started laying into not Jay-Z, but Beyonce. Interesting. And we got the whole thing on tape. It was a yeah. huge fight. They went one hour and 15 minutes. So you have beat yeah. that, which was normally that had 30 billion hits. I think Solange was a, is a mom at my school. I'm not mistaken, or, or oh like, really? Yeah, like uh, in my neighborhood when we do the school auction stuff, there's always sort of uh, semi Beyonce related uh, uh, materials. And she's named after a throat lozenge, a Hungarian throat lozenge. Hungarian throat lozenge. Yeah. Uh, okay, 2016's coming up. Yeah, it can't get worse than Barack Obama. Uh, yes, it can. Really? Hillary? Hillary would spend more. Uh, yeah, probably. She's probably, yeah. totally. She's totally incompetent. Unlike Barack, who's just pretty incompetent. Uh, who's your money on? Who I want it to be Ted Cruz. I'm told that his birth certificates are going to get in the way. But I, the thing I like about Ted Cruz is he's ugly. Mm -hmm. He's a nerd. He's a numbers guy. I'm sick of cool. We already had Fonzarelli for eight mm -hmm. years. Does cool doesn't pay the bills. Uh, I want a geek in there. A Nixon-looking guy with Reagan policies. He doesn't care about pot. He doesn't care about gay marriage. Um, and he doesn't want to spend money. He, uh, I think he'll make, he makes the final four. Um, I think the final four is going to be Cruz and Rand Paul on the anti-establishment side. And they'll be vying for who's the biggest Tea Party, who's the biggest government cutter. Uh, and then they'll be differentiating on foreign policy and some surveillance stuff. Oh, we didn't get into foreign policy this show. Nah, foreign policy sucks. Uh, and then on the establishment side, I see Scott Walker. And then I don't know. Um, there's, I think Cruz is going to soak up. Not Jeb? I think Jeb's going to be kneecapped. Uh, I, oh, really? I, I think that, that the anti-establishment feeling in among the GOP grassroots, and this 
spreads. This is libertarians. This is Tea Party people. This is social conservatives. I watched them all get totally under the boot heel of the establishment at the 2012 uh, convention. Incredible stuff happened there. Total dark room backstabbing stuff happened there. They have not yet had uh, a sense of a scalp the way that they have in primary uh, elections around the country uh, in congressional elections. They want a scalp this time. They don't want. Isn't it a detrimental to the GOP in general to scalp? Shouldn't you just fold in the votes from that bottom guy into the next guy up? Can't we no. all get along? <laughs> no, because if we if we didn't scalp, we wouldn't have Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Rand Paul, and a bunch of people, Mike Lee, people who are legitimately the most interesting kind of new blood in uh, in Congress who actually care about cutting spending in a real way that we haven't seen forever. Um, those well, the, the, all beat primaries against the Republican establishment. So you need that. And I'm saying in the presidential election, there's nobody, the grassroots of the Republican Party does not want a coronation. They will not accept it. So I think George uh, Jeb Bush's negatives because of that are way too strong and he can get $100 million, but if, if there's, you know, or $150 million, but if people have that feeling, then he's going to be vulnerable. I don't know exactly what the category is that can replace him. Marco Rubio is very talented, but people are really upset about him over immigration and other things. Um, and Cruz. And Cruz what? People are upset. The conservatives I know don't like that he wants to give out visas. They think he's too too cool, too illegal. You hang out with some. <laughs> I know. I was pretty shocked to hear it myself. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know who can fill that. For. I think it's going to be a, a bracket of four for sure. Um, and that well, I, the thing that's heartening about that is everyone you listed is a cutter, and I don't mean the the guys from the quarry and breaking away. They right. they all want to reduce spending. Scott Walker was the big union buster. Ted Cruz is a huge fiscal conservative, and Rand Paul is a as a quiet libertarian. Yeah, uh, a and secret libertarian. I think it'll be almost impossible for a Mitt Romney type uh, to win this time. Some, and that's what Jeb Bush is portraying himself as. Like we need to talk about what we're for instead of against, and all this kind of. Uh, 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 stuff. Jeb Bush is actually a very talented politician. His record in Florida was not bad at all. It's very interesting uh, from education reform standpoint and some other ways. Um, terrible on the war on drugs, always sort of uh, starting to uh, shift there. Uh, but I've seen him face down critics, you know, over immigration, over education. And he's like unapologetic and he, he stands up for himself. He's capable at what he does. But I just think the anti-establishment ethos is going to be too strong for him and it will sacrifice him. And when you say anti-establishment, the, the elephant in the room is Gay marriage and pot. No, no, no. It's not. No? no. I mean, Ted Cruz is trying to get the anti-establishment vote. Uh, the anti-establishment here. But it is, seems like the GOP split is the the. I'm not budging from my church and my gays and my pot. And the other side is saying, look, we lost those battles. Let's move on and try to just stick to the fiscal part. I think that split is not animating the. Uh, the presidential scrum necessarily. That's what oh, okay. that's what it totally exists. That's what it's going to happen with the election, though. Um, I'm not, I don't know. I think it's, it's, I mean, we're all talking about, you know, the Indiana r religious uh, exemption thing this week, and I'm not sure it'll ever be referenced once in the actual general election. You know, it feels like, it. of course it will, but it's all well, gays will 22 months is a long time and gays will. And I think what you'll see is that most of the acting Republicans will have a federalist answer, you know, to it ultimately. What does that mean? That they'll say like, Hey, um, you know, so, I don't think the federal government, I mean, first of all, the Supreme Court is going to legalize gay marriage this summer, so it's going to be kind of over. That's going to um, be a party. <laughs> actually, you know, I was talking to a California divorce lawyer, and uh, 
the gay divorce industry is absolutely booming. In oh, that's California. something no one will talk about. It's way worse than heterosexual divorce. I don't know if it is worse. Well, if you look at Europe, where it's been around for a while. They get they divorced have, in droves. Gay marriage hasn't been around in Europe. For in a while. Northern Europe, it's okay. been around a lot longer than we have, oh, it, really? and they have a terrible rate. In uh, California, has set up its rules to make it a lot easier, so they're becoming the Reno <laughs> of gay divorce, and it's a total growth industry. So we can all be uh, happy about that. Okay, final uh, point here that we're now that we're way over. Yeah, Ted Cruz is my guy. I'm making him your guy too. Uh, He's not my guy. Come on. Huge problem though with his pants. His, they're this weird boot so cut. To me, it's the eyebrow. The and he wears plastic a, He man. looks like Inspector Gadget uh, on a hunger strike with that giant trench coat. Have you seen him in a room? He's gigantic, right? No, uh, but he does this a lot. It's a bad gestures. It's not a good gesture. It's like it's not it's a not winning. This. It's not this. <laughs> this is a winning. This, that's a great gesture. Uh, he is. This has got like a Down syndrome Zig Heil to it. I did, yes, um, uh, free speech and all. The problem with Ted Cruz this? is that this is Uncle Sammy. Answer me this: Name one person who is not currently a fan of Ted Cruz, who would contemplate voting for Ted Cruz in a general election, who is not like a Republican, you know, uh, reliable anti-democratic vote. Where, uh, where, where does he have even this much of crossover appeal or even likability among people who aren't positively inclined towards him? I think traditional Christians uh, will never come on board with him because... Ted? Yeah, because he doesn't care about gay marriage and he doesn't care about pot. No, I, I think, au contraire, I think that he's locking up. I mean, he, he started his thing at Liberty University for a reason. He wants there to be no Huckabee or Santorum of note in this race. He's locking up that the social happen. conservative uh, thing early on. He, I've seen him speak at Club for Growth rally or you know uh, meetings in Newport Beach, California, which is not a God, guns, and flag event. This is like hardcore fiscal conservatives, and he talked about God and America, full patriot, full. So you syrup. can see old ladies voting for a guy who's for gay marriage and for pot legalization. Ted Cruz is not for gay marriage. No, he's against it. He's against it. He's against it. He's against gay marriage. He did. He's for like a federalist approach to it, but he's against gay marriage. Well, he wants the states to decide. He will. He will jump into. He was like the first out of the out of the shoot to say Mike Pence was absolutely right. We need to do this. He's going to be on the social. He's going to be the first social conservative on all these issues going forward. Mark my words. So he's going to lock that that thing up. I don't think he's got a problem with those people at all. I think the problem that he has are with people who find him to be a petulant, you know green eggs and ham reader who just sort of turns them off, makes their skin crawl. I think that is a large group of people and that, you know, you need to peel off independence. But we already had charismatic. It didn't of work. Of course we did. I agree with that. But like anti-charismatic. Thank you so difference. much, Matt. We sure. learned a lot. I, I'm the most impressed that you're so pro Ted Cruz and you realize <laughs> that it's his his uh, love of gay marriage and legalization of pot that's of going to get mind. him elected. That was a wake up call. And I think it'll be a wake up call to everyone at reason i didn't realize that the canadian thing ran so way. deep uh, don't, don't you feel like he's a turncoat i'm disappointed that you hate barack obama because he's black that was also a shocking revelation we had but um i think we learned a lot today and folks at home seriously uh use all of matt's data and say it's yours and when they get mad at you and call you wrong they're calling this guy wrong which he's obviously not What if I had a stroke and then yeah. 
after about 10 minutes, you had to yeah. <laughs> check the pulse. 